to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. The calendar has now turned to December, which means that Christmas season is in full swing. There's no stopping it now. Christmas is indeed coming. I recommend putting Elf on the TV with great regularity because it's good and to preempt the watching of other, much less good Christmas movies. My family has had our tree up for many weeks now, possibly a month. And for those who know me well and know my wife, Lacey, it will be no surprise that she spearheaded this early decoration movement with three little child accomplices who all wish the Christmas season started in September. I think this sort of thing, decorating early, was more common this year. Stores were certainly doing it. I always write that off to someone like me putting together a spreadsheet that says early Christmas stuff out means more profit. Um, But I, I think it happened with a lot of regular people, too. We all have more time at home on the weekends, and I think there's an element of wanting something to celebrate, wanting something positive in this crazy year, or even possibly an irrational belief that starting Christmas early will get 2020 over a little bit faster. Christmas coming also means that a lot of our time and energy lately has been devoted to the gifting that surrounds Christmas. At my house, we are buying no less than 40 gifts this year. Doesn't that sound crazy? Parents, siblings, kids, nieces, nephews. Uh, We're also teaching our kids to give gifts to their siblings and their parents. That sounds nice, right? Kids saving up their money to give gifts at Christmas. Lemonade stands, paper routes, even just saving up allowance. I wish that is what happened. Really, I pay for these gifts. Really, Lacey and I are just buying ourselves gifts through our kids with some amount of their input. Surely you would think this is the lowest of the low when it comes to gift giving, but no, it is not. The very worst of categories is my kids' significant others. <laughs> Zane has a fairly long-term girlfriend somehow in sixth grade, and Layla has a little boyfriend. This means gifts. Paid for by loving sacrifice out of Zane and Layla's limited and cherished resources? No. Paid for by dad. <laughs> Well, more accurately, authorized by mom, buried in endless Amazon orders and noticed by dad two weeks later with a question and an eye roll. (laughs) I'm working on a plan for next year to teach these kids about saving money for things like Christmas gifts, but alas, it's too late for 2020. At least we're saving on gas and childcare. So this exchanging of gifts that we do at Christmas, it has some of its roots in the aspect of the Christmas story that we're talking about in detail this year in our series. The characters commonly known as the three wise men, who in the actual text of the Bible are either called magi from eastern lands or wise men from the east or something similar. As Dave mentioned last week, nowhere does it say um, that there were three of them, but there were three gifts listed, uh, which is where the three comes from. And before we get into the gift that we're talking about today, shiny, valuable gold, I want to talk about these gentlemen some first. Let's read about them from the book of Matthew. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn? And I just picked three. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
Jesus' teaching when he was here on earth very much focuses on what the kingdom of heaven is like or what the kingdom of God is like, depending on the translation you're reading. So what in the world does this mean, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Now it's time to go back to Mufasa. Remember what he and Simba were talking about when he was showing Simba the kingdom. Simba asked if when he's king, all of this will be mine. And Mufasa tells him that there's more to being king than getting your way all the time. Pretty good general things about a king. They own the things in their kingdom, and in their kingdom, they get their way. To make it a little more clear and more directly applicable to this, this is how Dallas Willard describes it in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will, where what he wants done is done. The person of God himself and the action of his will are the organizing principles of his kingdom. But everything that obeys those principles, whether by nature or by choice, is within his kingdom. So Simba and Mufasa got it right. God's kingdom is where what he wants done is done. This is the kingdom Jesus came to point people to, to bring Israel back to, and to extend to people beyond Israel. People like the wise men from eastern lands who had the faith to see the signs of a great king in the sky and travel across the known world to find him, present him with gifts, and to worship him. Jesus came to extend access to the kingdom of God to people like us. But as the quote from Dallas Willard says, we make a choice whether to be within God's kingdom or not. And this is the last thing I want to talk about today, how we each react to Jesus as a king. And there are three characters in the story that represent kind of the main ways that we can react to Jesus. For the first one, we'll pick up with the story of the wise men where we left off. It reads, When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So, As we read earlier, Herod was the king at this time. Wise men from the east come telling him of a new king whose birth they saw in the heavens. King Herod immediately believes them but sees this new king as a threat. And this is the first way we can react to Jesus as a king. We can reject him and see him as a threat to our own kingship. We can choose to be the kings of our own lives and do what we want instead of what God wants. One of the other interesting parts of the divine conspiracy is the idea that we all have kingdoms. We all have a realm where we have control, where what we want to happen is what happens. This control is different sizes for different people, but it manifests as our decisions about what we do with our time, our decisions about how we treat people, what we say, how we spend our money, what we value. These these and other things really constitute a lot um, of our life, and it's things that we have control over. The question is whether these decisions... um, With the kingdom that is within our control, if we will submit to Jesus being king, or if we will insist that our will be done instead of his, will we be like King Herod, violently saying that we want to be king or not? 
Maybe we let Jesus have control in a lot of areas, but have a few that we hold back. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe we know that we should give to the church or to charity, um, and we know what God says about that, but we're concerned about not having enough if we obey God in that area. Um, maybe it's websites we visit and time that we spend on our phone or our computers uh, where we want to main, maintain control and not do what we think God is calling us to in that area. Or maybe it's not wanting to be humbled like Jesus said to his disciples, that whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Much like Jesus, not being a king in the fashion of Xerxes, David, or Solomon, being part of the kingdom is not a promise of a life of being served, but of serving. Maybe that's not something you're looking for, and you want to remain king of your life for that reason. So that's the first way we can react to Jesus as king. We can reject him because we want to be king in his place. The second one is that we can react like the teachers of religious law in the story. They are the ones who knew the prophecies about the Messiah um, and pointed the wise men to Bethlehem because that's where the prophecies said the Messiah would be born. They are part of God's chosen people, but when Jesus came as king, they didn't really pay much attention. Similarly, we can choose not to engage with Jesus as king. Maybe we aren't actively or purposely choosing not to let him be king of our lives, but we kind of just keep going through our lives as if he didn't exist. This one looks like um, when we're always hurried and distracted by other things, our work, our school, our hobbies, whatever else we decide is ultimately more important and more worthy of our time and attention. When we have this reaction, we miss out on the life that God meant for us, life in his kingdom. And the third way we can react is the way the wise men from the East did in this story. We can uproot our lives, gather gifts worthy of a king, search for Jesus, and when we find him, bow down and worship him. We can choose to live in the kingdom of God where King Jesus reigns in our lives. Where we choose that the realm where we have control will be in line with Jesus' teaching. That our kingdom will be a part of his kingdom. Because in our lives, what Jesus wants to happen happens. And this is really kind of the step right into the application, um, because the first application point is what I just said, is to choose to recognize Jesus as king in your life. Um, But I want to kind of flesh it out in a couple different ways based on what we talked about. First, consider whether there are any areas of your life where you are like King Herod. Are there any ways that you are rejecting Jesus as king because you don't want to give up control? Are there any ways where you you are fighting to remain king in your life? If there are some that you can identify that you know in your stomach that you've been holding back, I ask that you commit to turn that part of your life over to Jesus, to trust that he knows what is best in your life, that he is a good, a wise, and worthy king. Second, and this, this one is... One I need to do more. <laughs> uh, look for ways where you try to compartmentalize God out of your day-to-day life. Ways that you let the day's tasks and worries bring you away from God. One of the most important things for us to understand and figure out in our lives is how to be with God every day. Not just when we're at church or at home watching church or reading our Bibles, um, but how can we, we be with God when we're studying or when we're on Zoom calls all day for work or when we're relaxing at the end of the day and watching TV? How do we let God be the king of our lives in all of these times? And last, somewhat less related point, um, spend some time looking at the stars, 
not for astrology reasons, although perhaps this story should soften my stance on it, <laughs> um, spend some time outside looking at the stars and thinking about the vastness of our God, the Creator. The heavens, as they're called in the story, the stars and planets, have captured the wonder of people throughout history. There is awe-inspiring beauty in the night sky, and as you're looking, remember the faith of the wise men who traveled to find a newborn king when they saw something new and different in these stars. And to close things out, I'm going to read a prophecy from the book of Daniel. This is the end of Daniel's interpretation of a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. After telling him about the great kingdoms and empires that would rise and fall after his empire, Daniel says, During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. Jesus' star in the sky that brought the wise men to find him was signaling the birth of a king of this kingdom. The stars were right. Jesus came. A king was born. The kingdom is here, and it will stand forever. And this King Jesus wants us to be a part of his kingdom. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, that, um, that we can be a part of your kingdom. Um, that we can celebrate Jesus coming at Christmas time, Lord, that there were, that there were men who had so much faith that they came across the world, um, to bow down at Jesus' feet, even when he was a young child. Lord, I thank you that we can gather and worship you, Lord, even, even while we're remote, um, that we can be together and that you are with us, Lord. We love you, God. We know that you are, that you are king, that you are greater than the hardship that we go through, um, greater than disease, greater than division, Lord. We love you, God. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.